Father, we desire to hear from you. You would speak to us clearly, helping us to know your will. I pray that we would all be surrendered to your spirit and the things that we hear concerning end times and just how we conduct ourselves and our devotions to you and learning what is right and good and just and proper. May all these things just have a way of sinking in and being a part of our very natures. Lord, will you bring us to a place of not only obedience but loving submission to you that we'd be able to do all that we do because of the love you have shown to us. So, Father, guide us, direct us, fill us, and may your will be accomplished today. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of things before we get started here. <clears throat> I, I heard something yesterday at the men's breakfast that I've, I thought, wow, how do, how do we do that? How do we fall into believing things that are just not true? or getting off in areas that we shouldn't even be getting off in. And the thing that I heard yesterday was a believer that I know believes the earth is flat. And also we never went to the moon. And, you know, I, I think to myself, how, how does this happen and how do we remain in these belief systems when there's ways to reconcile them so clearly. And it's because, I know, it's the very nature of all of us, we're stubborn. We don't want to believe what we don't want to believe. We compartmentalize things in our minds and we think that that's the way to go. And with that, this morning I, I pulled off a uh, book off my shelf that somebody had sent to me and I told some of the guys about it yesterday that I this book it talks about the earth being the center of the universe and that every the earth is stationary and everything rotates around the earth and of course that's opposite of what Copernicus came up and Galileo and you know they they had not a lot of science behind it but they knew that that was probably the case and we we hold to these beliefs and we have to let the Lord work in us to change the belief spiritually speaking. That's a science thing and that's, I don't know if you remember Art Bill and the guy who was on all night long. He talked about stuff like that and I can remember them saying the jet stream is going to come down and it's going to swoop down on the earth and it's going to wreak havoc and you think a hurricane is bad and day after tomorrow it's going to be such big storms out there it's going to freeze everybody and kill us all and climate change we only have 10 years to live or what. You know we believe this stuff and we go like lemmings over the cliff. And the Lord wants us to be independent with him. The Lord wants us to search the scriptures and make sure we hold to proper doctrine. And if we do, if we're able to hold to that doctrine, we can share it with others and also bring them into the fold. But if we start spouting ridiculous things out there, people are going to look at us, even if we have the truth, and they're going to say, you're crazy. I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say because... As we all know, error begets error. And if somebody believes that you're way off on some of this stuff, then they're going to think you're way off on your relationship with Christ. And you don't have that right. You know, there even was a time when I went to a, a, a men's conference up in Anaheim, and a guy's out front, and 
His name was Bobby Bible. And he put out contradictions in the scriptures and maybe we shouldn't believe it all. And he was commanding all men to leave their wives and be single for the Lord. And I thought, you're just nuts. You're just crazy. And you should have seen all the guys from Calvary Chapel just gather around him and, and try to debate him a little bit and bring him into the fold. But he was just simply unwilling. And so we need to make sure that our hearts are open, that we can turn to God and say, God, I, I want what you have in your word. Now with that, going into this idea of eschatology, the study of end times things, it seems fanciful. It seems way off. It seems, to those who don't believe in God, ridiculous. It seems like we're just making stuff up and the Bible can't be trusted is what they say. And I'll often listen to books by those who uh, purport to be atheists or they talk about those who desire to be atheists and not believe in God. But when it comes to the end time stuff, they just believe the earth is going to continue just as it has forever. And yet all around us, we see the signs. Now, the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to review for you the end times scenario because I want you guys to be able to have this there was one year I was teaching a home bible study and the Christians who were there I thought they were mature enough where they understood the timeline and they didn't and I have found that to be the case that most Christians don't understand the timeline so I want to make sure that as I'm going through Matthew chapter 24 and 25, I'm giving you that timeline so you can kind of solidify it in your mind. Normally, if we hear something once, it's good, it's a wonderful story, if it's in the Bible, and we don't really remember it, we walk away. If you hear something twice, three times, or half a dozen times, especially if you write it down, then you start to solidify it in your mind, the synapses, the sections in your brain that connect all those things. They become solid and you understand what the Lord's will is. And that's what I want to do as I'm starting out here this morning. So <clears throat> with Jesus in Matthew chapter 24, you remember the disciples came up to him and asked him three questions in relation to the temple being destroyed. Well, when will these things happen? When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of uh, your coming and the end of the age? Those are the three questions that he had. And he spelled it out for them and gave them several things. And so we had Jesus prophesying about the temple being destroyed. That happened in 70 AD. Once that happened, we're waiting for the rapture of the church, which I gave you the scriptures for specifically I think I gave them two either two or three weeks ago so if you want to get those you can look at or you can go to the website and listen to the messages when the rapture takes place on in and around that time is going to be what is known as the Gog Magog invasion in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 Lord willing we're going to look at that uh, today and so you have that battle where Russia and a few other countries are going to come down and they're going to try to take a spoil. They're going to try to conquer Israel. And there's unique scenarios taking place with that happening. Now, once that takes place, and the rapture is sometime right before, in the middle, or right at, somewhere with that is where the rapture is going to take place. Once that happens, the Antichrist comes on the scene. He makes a treaty with the nation of Israel, according to Daniel chapter 9. 
Once he makes that treaty for three and a half years, there is going to be relative peace in Israel. But the Antichrist who makes that is going to be bent on world conquest. And Revelation talks about he's the white horse of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and he goes out, and he's bent on conquest. He has a bow, but no arrows. That means he's going to be a political savant. He's going to be able to go out there and just talk his way to power. He's not going to have to do it militarily. Once that happens, then the middle of the tribulation period is the abomination which makes desolate, also spoken of by the prophet Daniel. When that takes place, the Antichrist is going to reveal himself as believing he is God and desire to be worshipped as such. And anyone who does not and who does not take the mark of the beast will be killed, specifically by beheading. It says that in Revelation chapter 20, verse 4. Once that happens, and by the way, that's about the fifth seal. When the seals are broken in the book of Revelation, that's about the fifth seal. After that, you have two more seals, and then the trumpets come. And that's where the world starts to be in a state of upheaval. And you get to the last seals, or or, excuse me, the bowls. After that, that's the last part of the tribulation period. That's just the last couple of years. When that happens literally all hell breaks loose on the earth at the end of that is armageddon armageddon is where the the countries get together and there's going to be another worldwide conflict and the blood is going to flow to the horse's bridle i don't know how many hands that would be a horse expert i don't know 15 hands or so Uh, coming up and the blood is going to flow in the valley of Megiddo at that point Jesus is going to come back at that point the heavens are going to open up and we're going to be with him because we have gone with him in the rapture to meet him in the air we go up to heaven John chapter 14 in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go away to prepare a place for you that where I am you may be also so this is where we come back it's at the end of the tribulation period Of course, they are destroyed by the breath of his mouth. He just speaks it, and they're done. And that's where a harvest takes place. That's where the wicked are taken. And it says, like the the weeds, they're taken, they're bundled, and they're thrown into the furnace. And the righteous are collected and, quote-unquote, put into barns. And, And the ones who are righteous, they're the ones that are saved and go into the millennial reign of Christ. For a thousand years, he sets up his millennial reign here on this earth. We come back, we are a kingdom of priests, and we rule and reign with him, which means we will be scattered around the globe in different countries and different cities, and he will ask us, and we will voluntarily be willing to do his bidding in these different countries. And all the nations that exist at that time will at least once a year go up to Jerusalem and they will pay homage to Jesus Christ who will rule with an iron rod and he will take away or greatly reduce the law of entropy, heat loss, the law of decay on this earth. And a, a young man will die at a hundred years old during the millennial reign of Christ, which means most people are going to live for hundreds of years during that thousand-year reign. At the end of the thousand-year reign, Satan is released for a small period of time. I don't know how long that is. I would imagine it would be a few years at the very least. 
He's released to deceive the nations. The nations once again try to go against Jesus in Jerusalem. And again, he just destroys them by the breath of his mouth. And at that point, heaven and earth are destroyed. In First Peter, it talks about this, that they are just going to go away. He is going to destroy it by fire. Now, that type of fire, as I've told you before, would be equivalent to every single atom dissipating or blowing apart in the universe. And that's where we get a nuclear bomb. You know, fissile material, uh, it's the size of a baseball that is a nuclear bomb. Well, imagine the entire universe going up with that much material that is in the universe as compared to an atomic bomb with fissile material that's the size of a baseball. It is going to be cataclysmic, and there nothing will be left in this entire universe. Then the great white throne judgment takes place, and the books are opened. Specifically, the book of life will be there, and if anyone's name is not found written in the book of life, they are thrown into the pit, which is the ultimate hell or Gehenna. Right now, individuals who have died without Christ are in Hades, which is also called hell. But they will be resurrected out of there, and they will show up at the great white throne judgment. We will all be there. The angels of God will all be there. And all humanity who is not saved will be there as well. We know specifically that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord at that time. Now, there's going to be literally billions and billions of individuals up there, whether it's those who are in the church, those who inhabited the millennium and are saved, those who have existed for all time that are not saved, and all the angels. God is going to have everyone there. Once the great white throne judgment takes place, we know that in Isaiah chapter 65, it says, all hell will be thrown, death Sorrow, pain, it all goes away. It's wrapped up. We forget about it. God creates a new heaven and a new earth. And the new earth, which is going to be here, is not going to have a sea. But we don't know how big it is. You could have a lake that could be the size of an ocean today because the new city of Jerusalem comes down, which is approximately 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles by 1,500 miles. And it's going to come down to the new earth and there is going to be no more sun. And from then on, we don't know what God has in store. But the Bible has told us with great specifics. I'll just say it that way. He's going to, he has told us what is going to happen and what to be aware of. And of course we know out of the Old Testament it says God does nothing without telling his prophets first. So he has laid it all out for us. We are aware of what is going to happen. And we're supposed to just simply be watching. We watch the events around the world that are taking place. And as we see these things unfolding, we know that the time is near. Because he told us to be watching. Now, the things that I told you about last week, of course, was the rapture. And there are six views of the rapture, just so that you will remember them. The first view is there is no rapture. The second view is it's pre-tribulational, before the tribulation happens. And this rapture is where all believers, both living and dead, arise. We get our new bodies and we go to heaven and we celebrate what is known as the marriage supper of the Lamb at that time. 
So that's the pre-tribulational rapture. That's what we hold to here. We believe there's adequate evidence for that, and I went through that last time. There's the mid-tribulational rapture where people believe that we are going to be raptured before the wrath because the wrath of God, they say, really starts taking place at, in the middle of the tribulation. I believe it begins at the, at, at, begins at the beginning of the tribulation. And then there is the pre-wrath uh, version, which is at about five and a half years into the tribulation period. Then there's the post-tribulational rapture, where the rapture happens at the end of that seven-year period. I call it the U-turn theory. It's where we go up and we make a U-turn and we come right back down, same time. Forget about John chapter 14, not going to heaven, only going to the clouds. I believe that that's an error according to the scriptures. And then there's the partial rapture theory that at different times during the tribulation period, people will be raptured at different times. And I believe all the rest of them, except for the pre-tribulational rapture, are just fanciful doctrines that men have created or even been inspired by demons. Because we know that there is such a thing as the doctrine of demons. And they would just like to bring confusion. And we can spend a lot of time inside Christendom arguing over these things. And I would say, don't argue. We can have the discussion and we'll see them in the clouds. And we'll say, see, that's the way it's supposed to happen according to the scripture. So that's the rapture. And the rapture, I gave you nine things why the rapture is not the second coming. I'm not going to go back through those again. But there are differences in the two. Just like Armageddon is not the Magog invasion, there are differences between the two. And of course, going back, we know that the disciples... They asked the three questions, and even Rabbi spoke of two ages that we will have, the age where we are here on earth, and then the messianic age, which will be in the future. And Jesus told us not to be or be watchful and not to be deceived by the false Christ that will come, claiming that they are the ones, and there will be wars and rumors of wars. And I told you about that list of all the wars we had had. And if you combine the wars and the earthquakes and the famines, over 190 million people, 480,000 have died just as a result of those. And I told you I think the number is probably much higher because many people are not accounted for. And then the idea, and those are localized wars. And then he told us nation will write us against nation, and those are the world wars. And we've already had two, and there's going to be at least one more that is going to be in our future, along with the famines and the earthquakes. And I, I warned you, don't be taken in by the people writing books that say the earthquakes are going to be more frequent and more intense, and we need to make sure that we're not falling for that because God's truth is very evident in Scripture. We don't have to be concerned about the earthquakes just increasing in intensity, but they will during the tribulation period. And when we get a little bit, I'm not going to be exhaustive going into the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, but there will be earthquakes so severe, mountains will be leveled and islands will disappear. That means there'll be no buildings at that particular point. And if there are, they're only going to be remnants. If an earthquake can take down a mountain, it can surely take down all of our dwelling places. And I don't know if that's localized or going to be worldwide, but the world is going to be in turmoil, to say the least. And scripture even tells us that the earth, I don't know if you've seen some of these Noah images, the videos of the earth, 
and how it rotates and how it goes around the sun. And there's one in particular where you can see the earth and it's rotating on its axis and it just does this back and forth a little bit. And you go, whoa, that's kind of interesting. And, and it just gets tilted back and forth. Well, imagine if it went like this, all the way back and forth, to the left and to the right. And scripture says the earth is going to wobble like a drunkard to and fro. Have you ever seen those drunken videos of people trying to, to walk somewhere? That's what the earth is going to be like, and it's going to be a terrible existence for us here. And then I talked to you about the number of people that are going to be killed and during the tribulation period. It's at least 50 to 70 or 75%. Some people say two-thirds of the earth is going to die. And it's going to be by sword, famine, and plague. And there's going to be these demons that are going to come out. And a third of mankind later on in Revelation chapter uh, 9, verses 13 through 19 are going to be killed. And if you read Matthew with that, it seems like another 50% are going to be taken, they're going to be killed. And so we don't know how many, but it's going to be billions of people are going to die. And you must understand, if there's billions of people that are dying, they're not going to be buried. And if they're not going to be buried, imagine a city like San Diego. If two-thirds of the people died in San Diego, no one's going to be able to bury them. It's going to be a a stench. On top of that, the earth, the oceans, the grasslands, the trees, they're going to be destroyed. At least one whole ocean is going to be destroyed. And the stench and the wind is going to cease to blow. The the heat, it's just going to be a miserable existence here. And I told you about the violence around the world. And that, of course, was told to us that as in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. And you look at the days of Noah, and the days of Noah were filled with violence and unbelief. Remember how good a preacher Noah was? How many converts did he have? Just his family. That was it. And there were probably millions and millions, if not billions of people at that time on the earth. And I've often wondered, as I was listening to a geologist who was trying to explain away the flood and the long geological ages of the earth, and when I was listening to him, I thought, you know, all these fossils are there. How come there are not billions of fossils of people if the flood came? And I, I think I figured it out. You know, when they go to this Precambrian layer and they have this explosion and all these fossils, the small fossils are there. The fossils that they see first on the deepest portions are the little bitty ones. They're the ones in the bottom of the ocean. They're the little insects, that type of thing. That's what's at the bottom. The next one would be little animals that can't get away. And then the bigger animals, the mammals, which would be out there, they would be in the fossil record like the woolly mammoths. And then you don't really see human beings. Why? Human beings are smart. If a flood comes, what's the first thing you're going to do? Get to higher ground. You're smart. You know this. And so the population at that time you can even swim not for very long but you can swim and so when the flood comes you're going to be taken up you're not necessarily going to be taken by the deluge 
like all the animals and all the invertebrates that are taken. And so that's why you're not going to see, it's my theory at least, that's why you're not going to see a lot of fossils of human beings if there were millions and billions that went in the flood. Because they're going to be raised up above. And what happens to a dead body when it's in water? It floats. And, and you know, so it comes to the surface, that type of thing. It, when they have hurricanes these um, in these Caribbean islands, the graves are on top of the ground. The bodies come out of the graves and they float out there. The caskets float. You know, so th- those types of things are probably reasonable reasons why we don't see that. But th- it's just going to wreak havoc here on the earth, the violence which is going to be there, along with... In Luke chapter 21, the pestilence, the fearful events, the terrors, the frightening things like volcanoes and tsunamis and great signs from heavens, the heavens, and I told you about that, maybe supernovas, maybe meteors, maybe solar flares, I don't know, maybe planet X, which is out there. I, I don't know what it's going to be, but we will look out into the heavens and we will see things that we have never seen before. Uh, well, well, we won't. We're going to be in heaven, but everybody else that is here here will see these things. And I left you with, these are the beginning of birth pangs. After giving you all of those instances, all of those examples, the wars, rumors of wars, uh, World War I, World War II, the violence, the plagues, the fearful events, the great signs, we are in the middle of that. Now, how long before we get to the end and you see the Gog and Magog uh, invasion that is there? Well, and by the way, I'm, I'm setting this all up so that when we get into the heart of Matthew 24, you're able to compartmentalize where all of these little facts go. Now, the Gog and Magog invasion, if you'd go ahead and put that up, John, I want to show you this is what the Bible has told us is going to be this battle that ushers in the tribulation period. Now, it's kind of blurry, But you see the little teardrop there, the little Google marker that you have there? That is Israel. All the countries around that are the countries that are involved in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39 that are going to come against Israel. If you look at it, you can see which is which. You see Rosh, which is the biblical name. That is Russia. Then you have Magog with Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, or the stands. Stands are over there, okay? And then you have Iran, which is Persia. Then you have Turkey, which is uh, Tubal, uh, Bethdagarma, I think is what it is, Meshach. All of that is towards Europe. And by the way, if you look at Turkey, Turkey is on the other side of the Black Sea, but it's a way in which Russia can come down to Israel. They'd come right through Turkey. And then you have the countries to the south. You have uh, Libya, you have Algeria, you have Sudan and Ethiopia. Egypt is not going to be a part of it. The Lord is going to spare Egypt in this. And so these are the countries. When I start reading about these this morning, these are the countries that are going to come in and invade Israel. Now, next week, I may go a little bit more into this. If we get beyond this and we start going into the Antichrist, kind of want, I want to spell out who he is going to be. But I may go into some of the politics of today and why we are, I believe, so close. But, for instance, 
to give you this, and I'll repeat this one next time, I would imagine. Turkey, do you guys know the name of the guy who is the president or prime minister of Turkey? Erdogan. Somebody is up on it. That That's right. Erdogan. Now, Turkey used to be a big friend of Israel. Israelis would go to Turkey on the Black Sea and vacation. That's where they would go. Now, you can see the Black Sea. It's just to the left of Magog and to the right of Turkey. That's where the Israelites, not Israelites, but that's where the Jews, modern-day Jews, would go. Not so much anymore because Erdogan has taken Turkey into, I, I would imagine he wants it to be part of the caliphate, but he certainly has taken it even more radical in Islam. And, of course, they just went into Syria, and there's the infighting with the Kurds that are going on in Syria, and that's just a mess there. But he is no longer leading a country that is going to be friendly to Israel. And so you can see, even with Turkey today, and by the way, they are really good friends with Russia. And and you can see all of that coming about. And Iran, are they Israel's friend? (laughs) They hate Israel. They hate Israel even more than they hate us. And they hate us a lot. But they hate Israel even more than they have that saying. Maybe you've heard me have, say that saying before. Uh, first Saturday, then Sunday. What that means is they say they're going to take out the Sabbath Saturday, the worshipers of the Sabbath, which is Israel, and then Sunday, the Christian nation of the United States. That's kind of their motto that they have. And, of course, all of the Arab countries, Put and Kush and Chad and Niger and and Nigeria, all of those, all of those are Muslim countries. When we go over to Uganda, Uganda, I think it's it's either 65 or 85% Christian. The surrounding countries are not. They are Muslim countries. And so almost all of Africa, not all, but almost all of Africa is Muslim. And when I was talking to my friend Omar, his full name Omar Muhammad that I talked to, he was telling me he has traveled all throughout Africa, but he told me it wouldn't be such a good idea if I decided to do that, uh, going through Africa, because I am a Christian, I'm not a Muslim, and it probably wouldn't go so well for me over there. And besides that, uh, the continent of Africa is just filled with violence and wars and tribal factions, and it's just not a good place. Some people have learned to survive over there and adapt and and get along, and especially the missionaries who go over there, they do their best. But, you know, there are people who die all the time over there because of the violence. Now, in Luke, he was talking about these things that are going to take place. And actually, if you would turn over there, Luke chapter 21 And the reason I'm going through this is because when you have Luke 21, you have Mark chapter 13, you have Matthew 24, you have Ezekiel uh, chapter 38 and 39, you have Daniel chapter 7, Daniel chapter 9, you have the minor prophets of the Old Testament. It's a puzzle, and you have to put this puzzle together in order to understand what the end time scenario is. And it's scattered like that. And the Lord has provided pastors and teachers that have taught me, and I hope to teach you, and you walk away with this, and you will teach others of what the end times has in store. And so in Luke chapter 21, I'm going to pick it up in verse 10. 
And you're familiar with this. He also says it in Matthew chapter 24. He says, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Of course, that's an idiom for a worldwide war. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilences in various places and fearful events and great signs from the heaven, which I just told you all about again. Then in verse 12, he says, but before all this, and so he's saying, well, wait, back up. He's going, I digress. I'm, I'm going back up. He says, they will lay hands on you and persecute you. They will deliver you to synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors all on the account of my name. This is the persecution that the first century Christian disciples were going to go through. That's what he's talking about here. But it doesn't end there. This will result in your being a witness to them. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words of wisdom and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will be betrayed by even by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. And they will put some of you to death. All men will hate you because of me. But not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will gain life. And so he's encouraging his disciples, look, hang tough. Now, this is also going to be partially true in the tribulation period, too. If you don't renounce Christ, people are going to turn you in. Your own relatives will do that. And I get that. But then he makes this jump, verse 20. When you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know that desolation is near. Now, that could have two meanings. That could be 70 A.D., it could be the tribulation period. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out and let those in the country not enter the city. Now, there have been times where Jerusalem has been surrounded by armies before. But it's certainly true that it's going to be surrounded by these countries. They're going to come down to take a spoil. And then in verse 22, he gives us a hint. It's like he's jumping to the tribulation period. For this is the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written. And so you you see that it can pertain to the 70 AD, but then he jumps in verse 22. Well, probably has two meanings. It probably is 70 AD, but it is most certainly the tribulation as well. It says, how dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. There will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. That's when God's wrath is poured out. They will fall by the sword and will be taken as prisoners to all nations. Jerusalem will be trampled on the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that is all the way through the tribulation period. The Gentiles are going to be in control and the Lord will come back. And that's the fulfillment of this time. Now, the time of the Gentiles began with the, with Rome being in charge. It was after um, the time of uh, King Solomon and King David and all of that. And and then the Gentiles are going to be the ones who are in control. And it's been that way for a few thousand years. But it's going to end. And then Jesus, the Jew, the Israelite, will be in control. So the time of the Gentiles will come to an end. And, of course, we won't see that because we have been raptured at the beginning of the tribulation. Then we come back, millennial reign of Christ, and so we see the timeline. We have that kind of solidified in our minds. Now with that, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 38. Now remember, it is the destruction of the temple, the rapture of the church, and when the rapture of the church takes place, either right before, in the middle, right after, somewhere in there, this battle is going to be transpiring. It says in Ezekiel 38 verse 1, 
the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, set your face against Gog in the land of Magog, the chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. Prophesy against him and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against you, O Gog, chief prince of Meshach and Tubal. And just transpose, if you would put that back up again, John, that picture. If you just transpose the countries or the areas with the names that are listed here, you will understand what's happening in the battle. In verse 4 it says, I will turn you around, put hooks in your jaws, and bring you out with your whole army, your horses, your horsemen, fully armed, and with a great horde with large and small shields, all of them brandishing their swords. Now, of course, this is metaphorical language that's being used. I do not see Russia coming down on horseback with swords to try to invade Israel. If Ezekiel would have seen exactly the armaments that were coming down, you would have said to him, it's a tank. He would have said, what's a tank? If you would have said, it's a jet fighter, he would have said, what's a jet fighter? And you would have said, they'll have guns. And he would have said, what's a gun? The point being made here is that they're coming to kill. And they understood with these words. And so it's written anthropomorphically. It's written in a way at the time it was written so the people it was delivered to would understand. All we'd have to do is go back in time to the 1960s and say, you're going to have an iPhone. Yeah. You're going to have a personal computer. Oh, really? I forget what they said. Who could ever use more than one megabyte of memory or something like that? I think that was one of the cases. And now we're into gigabytes and terabytes because we have to have all our videos and things and apps and all of that. They just wouldn't have understood. Now we understand. And Daniel even talks about the knowledge of the end times increasing. Some people misinterpret that to believe knowledge in general will increase. But it's saying the knowledge of the end times will increase. And of course, many will go to and fro to find out this stuff about the end times. But anyhow, I digress. Verse 5 says, Persia, which you can see is Iran. It goes on, Cush and Put. You can see that's in Africa, which is there, will be with them. All with shields and helmets as Gomer with all its troops, and Beth Tagarma, which would be Turkey, from the far north, with all its troops, the many nations with you. So Magog is Russia, Persia is Iran, Cush is the area east of Egypt, and Put, Ethiopia, Tagarma, Armenia, and Gomer, Asia Minor, and Turkey in those areas. So it, it, what you can do is next to the text you can actually write the countries which those represent. And God wanted us to know these countries. Also, if you have a map section in your Bible, you can open up to the back and you can look at that as well. Sometimes there's a prophetic map like in Ezekiel. You might already have that in there. But God wanted us to understand what this was. Verse 7 says, 
Get ready, be prepared, you and all the hordes gathered about you and take command of them. And after many days, you will be called to arms. In future years, you will invade a land that has recovered from war, whose people were gathered from many nations to the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. By the way, if you just go back to Mark Twain, who visited Israel, he said the land is dead. Nothing grows there. You don't even see lizards and things like that. It was just like moonscape up there is how he described it. And so uh, going on here, it says, You and all your troops, verse 9, and the many nations with you will go up advancing like a storm. You will be like a cloud covering the land. Of course, this is a simile. Whenever you see like or as, there's going to be so many, it's going to be like a cloud covering the land. This is what the sovereign Lord says. On that day, thoughts will come into your mind and you will devise an evil scheme. You will say, I will invade a land of unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. I will plunder and loot. By the way, by way of description, Israel has always been a walled city. Whenever it's been built and thriving, it's been a walled city. And the Israelites were brought from all the nations, not just one or Assyria or, you know, Babylon. It's all the nations they have been brought back to this land. And that's how we know that this is future. Okay. It says, verse 11 again, I will say, or you will say, I will invade a land with unwalled villages. I will attack a peaceful and unsuspecting people, all of them living without walls and without gates and bars. I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins and the people gathered from the nations, rich in livestock and goods, living at the center of the land. Now, if you go to Israel today, it is thriving. Now, I've been to uh, Haifa. Haifa is where the university uh, in Haifa is located and it's up on a hill and you look down at the city of Haifa. It is a seaport. They have a a nuclear power plant there. And by the way, I've I've tried to look it up several times and you just, Google, I think, has taken it down. I think Israel has gotten in with Google, say, you need to take this down, you know, that this nuclear power plant is there. You might be able to get a picture today, but it's been very difficult to find pictures of that as well, as well as oil. Israel, apparently, they have tons of oil. I I heard one guy, uh, this Amir, if you've ever listened to him on YouTube, he talked about how all the oil in the Middle East flows down into Israel. And, you know, so if Israel starts draining, everything from the Middle East goes towards them, which is kind of comical. All they have to do is open up the spigot, and all of a sudden the the Arab countries lose their oil. I don't know if that's exactly how it would be, but I, I think I heard him say that. So it says, I will plunder and loot and turn my hand against the resettled ruins. It is a metropolis. They have high-rise buildings in Tel Aviv and all of the houses in Jerusalem are made out of Jerusalem stone. It's all the same color stone around the city and it has certainly busted out of the walls in Jerusalem. The 
old city, it is just going forever. It's kind of like here. You just have houses and new shopping centers. And by the way, the shopping centers, if you try to get into one, you're going to be met by a metal detector with two armed guards, military guys standing there, and they're going to inspect you. And you've got to pull everything out of your pockets. and You've got to put it in a tray, just like going through the TSA here at the airport. You do that to get into the malls. They are very protective there. And in the old city, it comes alive at night, just like in San Diego. You go downtown San Diego at night, especially in the the little Italy or in downtown. It is just thriving. That's the way Israel is today in Tel Aviv. And if you go to the areas of the wilderness, if you go down to Elat, there are palatial hotels down there. You go down there and you, whoa, look at this place. I've stayed in one of those. And, and then the food that they feed you, the spread that is there, it is the best buffets that you've ever had here. It, it's equaled over there. Just fantastic environment. And Elat was just a little desert dwelling place that was there. And if you go um, towards Timna, down the Jordan Valley, beyond the Dead Sea, you will see... Acres and acres of greenhouses, and they grow tomatoes and cucumbers and leeks and flowers. Uh, I think that they were the number one flower exporter, uh, maybe even fruit exporter. I, I remember that from years ago. They may have fallen to number two or three, I don't know, but they are an economy that just will not stop. And so you look at Russia... You look at Iran with the sanctions that are on them. You look at Turkey. They're all third world countries for the most part. You go down to Israel, it's just like the United States. It is just bustling in the areas that are allowed where the commerce can just flow freely and capitalism is allowed to prosper and be the the mode of income for everybody. That's what Israel is like. And it's a fantastic place. And there are millions of people there uh, right now and it is bustling. And that's why they're coming down to loot and to plunder everything that is there. And you know, the Jews have been in the diamond trade forever. You know, not forever, but for decades they control the diamonds and there's a lot of wealth and the banking industry is also there and and so if you wanted to take a country that's one country that you in fact could plunder then sheba and dedan and the merchants of tarshish and all of her villages will say to you have you come to plunder have you gathered your hordes to loot to carry off silver and gold to take away livestock and goods and to seize much plunder sheba and dedan is Saudi Arabia. Did Saudi Arabia and Israel just to get together and say, hey, we're going to be friends? If you didn't know that, yes, they did. They oppose Iran. They have a common enemy. And so Saudi Arabia and Israel are becoming friends. And in this scenario right here in verse 13, they are complaining that Russia and Iran are going down to Israel, saying, what are you doing? And so you see these Islamic countries, along with Russia, they're going to come down and attack Israel. You see Sheba and Dedan, and by the way, the merchants of Tarshish, the area of Tarshish, Great Britain. And her young lions are whelps. Guess who is a whelp or a lion of Great Britain? United States. That's who we are. We're, we're part of that. And we're also going to complain, hey, what are you doing? Sheba and Dedan, Saudi Arabia and the United States, which are allies of Israel, are going to complain 
about these guys coming down. We're not going to be able for some reason to go in and stop them, which could be rapture. Can you say we're out of here? And so what's going to be left in the country if we're in fact, quote unquote, a Christian country? There's going to be millions of people gone. We will not be the same country that we are today. And so you see this is prophesied to happen. And that's how the knowledge is increasing that Daniel talks about. We understand these things where a hundred years ago wouldn't have known. But there were commentaries a hundred years ago and two hundred years ago that said Israel must repopulate their homeland. And when those, Don Stewart talks about that in some of his books. And he would go back to these old commentators from 100 or 200 years ago before Israel ever became a nation on May 14th, 1948. And they said, it will happen because God's word says it will happen. So we have this perspective. Now, if you mix this battle with everything we just went over with the rapture and the pestilence and the earthquakes and the world wars and all of that, again, I will leave you with this. We are in the birth pangs, the end times. How much longer do we go before this battle takes place? You know how many times Russia and uh, in Lebanon and in Syria they have stored armaments to go and attack Israel? It's been two or three times that I know of where they've, Israel's gone in and said, no, nope, you're not going to do this, and they've discovered all the armaments, millions, millions of armaments there to come and invade. They just need the people to do it like a horde that is being referred to here in, in uh, Ezekiel. And so it's, we're right there. How far? I don't quite know, but we're right there. And I will leave you with the same thing that I left you with last time. We're not to be worried about this. We're not to be fretting. I mean, just, again, Chile and uh, uh, over in Hong Kong, the violence is still erupting around the world, and it's just getting worse. I just saw an article headline that the violence around the world is escalating. The more that you see that escalate, the more that you see the Arab countries come towards Israel, the more that you see alliances forming even in a more solid fashion with Turkey and the Arab countries with Russia, and the rhetoric starts to elevate, and that which is good is now being called evil, and, and you see the chaos which is in the world. The next thing would be the economy. The rest of the world is like heading towards a recession, and the United States is doing okay right now. All that's left is to knock down the United States. How long until that happens? Maybe the next election? Who knows? It just depends if Hillary gets back in there. Well, I don't know if she's running. <clears throat> we just don't know how that is all going to play out. But we see it coming. It's like you're standing on the train tracks. It's at dusk, and you see the light of the train. And you can't really tell how far away it is, but you can hear it in the distance. That's where we are. That's why I get excited. It's like, all right, I'm going to go home and practice rapturing. You know, just, just going up and down. And that's, that's our hope. That's our blessed hope. So I wanted to leave you with the Gog and Magog invasion and, and just get that timeline solidified in your mind. I don't want to bowl through it so that when we get to the end, you go, what was all that about? And I will repeat the timeline again next week so that you guys just have this down solidly. And may the Lord bless your memory that you can hold on to this and you can be excited about telling others and you can lead them 
into the word and show them where this has taken place so that they might as well repent of their sins and come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for your word because it enlightens us. It shows us what you have destined for our future. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to be able to explain it to others, that you would fill us full of your spirit and with passion and desire for the things that are of your kingdom. But, Lord, we pray for those who will end up going through these terrible times. We ask that you would use us to reach more, that they might come into the kingdom, especially as the world is becoming more and more a dark place. We ask that you would help us to be that light. In Jesus' name, and everyone said...